All right, guys, welcome. How are we doing? Doing okay? It's good to see you guys this morning. Um, so if you can, if you're still getting some food, um, go ahead and make your way to a seat, and uh, we'll get started here in a moment. If somebody could shut that back door, that'd be awesome. And if you also could ask the junior hires to stop playing air hockey, that'd be helpful too. It's going to get loud in here, even if the door's shut. So please, they can refrain until 1230 today. Um, so glad you guys could be here today. We actually have um, some, uh, a lot of people in the room that aren't normally in here. So if you see uh, college students, where are our college students? Raise your hands. A bunch of our college students are down here. And then we have um, other people in our church that are here as well that are not high school or college. So we, we love that they're, that they're wanting to hear this as well. Um, let me run through. We also have uh, some Mission Galveston people that will be coming in in a few moments from the main service. So kind of make space for them. Um, I think I've got Gino working on extra chairs if we need those here in a moment. Um, but make space for them when they come. I think about 15 or 20 of those guys when they come back in here. Um, so I want to jump, get right started with announcements first. And then we will get into our discussion here in a moment. Um, so I've only got a couple things to talk to you about. First thing. Uh, We do a compassion offering every Sunday morning. We sponsor four students overseas, as many of you know. And today, this is the perfect setup for a compassion offering. We have rows, and it'll be so easy. So we're going to have, who's doing that today, by the way? Where's my offering person? Is that Chris? Chris Venard somewhere? I think he might be out there somewhere. There he is. I can't see their stage lights. It's really bright up here. So Chris is going to pass that out, and just you guys can uh, give towards our compassion students. That'd be so helpful. And then uh, also, we have um, Impact is our, fir- our first training. If you're a sophomore, junior, or senior doing Impact, um, there's a meeting today after church for you guys. And uh, if you've not yet signed up for Impact, you can ask your neighbor what it's all about. And uh, you can sign up online, go to our church website, go to the hub, and you can type it in even on your phone right now and get signed up for Impact 2018. Um, cost is 200 bucks for the whole thing, but we give scholarships if you need to, so please don't let cost keep you from doing this. And then this coming Wednesday, we launch Equip Groups over at the Creekside Building, and uh, that'll be 6 to 8 p.m. We're offering three incredible options. One is on leadership. If you're someone who is doing impact and you're in the sophomore, junior, senior range, I'm going to highly encourage you to do leadership um, if you've not yet done it last semester. Just really trying to find ways to show you what um, it means to be a godly, servant-hearted leader. And then we're also offering one called When I Don't Desire God, which the title I think explains what that's about. Uh, So um, that will also be offered on Wednesday. And then lastly, we're offering one called Messy Grace, Reaching the LGBT Community. And uh, this ties into our discussion this morning. If you're here last week, we, we showed a video. We showed part one of the Messy Grace uh, video project. And we're, we're doing that because we did that last week. We're also having Michael come and speak to you this morning because we want these last two Sundays to be a preview event for the Messy Grace Equip Group, which will start up this coming Wednesday. So we'd love to have many of you come out and be a part of all of our groups on Wednesday, um, but today's kind of a, a preview event for Messy Grace. So um, we're going to jump right in. So I'm going to introduce you guys. We actually have, this is going to be like Dr. Phil up here, all right? We're going to have couches, and, uh, and I just need like a coffee table with some, I don't know if we have that up here but not, but, um, but my wife's going to join me, so let's give it up for Courtney and Tate up here on the stage, and then... And then uh, let's welcome Michael Salinas up here as well. He's joining us. So he's supposed to sit there. He's sitting there. See, we already messed up. He's supposed to sit in the middle, you know. It's like that was, that was the script, you know. I'm going to get my producer working on that. Um, so, so here's the deal, guys. Um, I wanted to give you just kind of a rundown quickly of just what, uh, why we're here and what to expect as we get into our discussion uh, this morning. So as many of you all know, I mean, the, the LGBT topic or issue is, is one that is all over the news in our culture, in the media, and we know that the church has often done some very hurtful things in the past, but also done some things that are um, uh, just not use a lot of wisdom in how we talk about these issues. 
So we are trying, one of my sort of vows as a youth pastor many, many years ago was um, whatever flock of students I get to be a part of, um, I sort of made a promise that we're going to talk about stuff. We're not going to shy away from tough issues. And uh, this is partly why I want us to have these kinds of discussions, because I want you prepared to be able to engage your culture, not just in an you know, attack mode way, but in a way that's loving and compassionate, but also um, where you maintain biblical truth. And if you look around our culture today, you're going to see many people um, that are in the church that are kind of going two different directions. One is, you know, all love but no truth, and the other is all truth but no love and compassion. And so we're trying to find that middle where we hold to our biblical convictions, but we also um, are going to be um, loving and compassionate as we communicate our convictions to the culture and the people that we come in contact with. So that's why we're here having this discussion. And you saw last week we watched a video where you saw uh, four or five stories of people that are same gender attracted, but they are not living out that lifestyle. They are walking with Jesus and, uh, and living in purity and just that, hoping that God just works in their life in whatever way he wants to. And so Michael is one of those people in, this, in the video that you saw last week. You'll hear more of a story in a few moments. But first, I wanted to ask both of our panelists this morning, um, just why it is, oh, real quick before I forget, if you go to my, the text questions uh, slide. So this number um, is on the screen. It'll be on the screen the entire morning. And we're hoping to do some questions at the very end where you guys can text in your questions that you have. That you just come to your mind as, you're, as we're having this conversation. So um, if a question just sparks in your mind, text into this number what your question is. At the very end, we're going to have someone at the back kind of just sifting through those. Make sure they're, they're good questions, but... At this point, um, you guys can uh, text those questions in as you have them. And, uh, but our hope is to have um, time at the end to go into these questions that you may have and answer those questions as well, okay? So you guys can leave that up there on the screen the entire time that we're in here this morning. So first off, I would love to um, just ask both of you guys, why do you think uh, this is such an important discussion, especially among students? Um, I, before I became a believer, um, I was involved in theater community and in high school and then in college and very kind of artistic group of friends. And I had a lot of gay friends and I'd go out with them, go hang out with them. And then when I came to faith in college, um, and I started going to church, I was very troubled and, um, upset by things that I would hear amongst Christians, Um, you know, jokes or just disparaging comments. Um, And it was very hurtful to me, and I I hated the way the church talked about this issue. Not everyone, but um, kind of a large swath of people. And, And I think now I see this complete pendulum swing now where I am hurt by many Christians and people in the church that have just kind of swung the way of culture, and we have not maintained truth in this area. And so now I kind of feel like I'm, I'm worried in a whole other way um, about this issue. So I think it's really important for us to bring personal stories and, and people that are walking this and to understand how best to respond to them. So. It wasn't on. Um, I think probably the biggest reason, obviously, is that I'm a Christian who is attracted to the same gender, and I firsthand have experienced how the church has um, mistreated and um, talked bad about and disparaged, like you were saying, um, different Christians, not just Christians, but um, people outside the church who dealt with these issues. Um, and um, why I want to talk about it more, why I participated in the Master Grace study was because I know that there are people out there like me who feel this particular way and still know that the truth of God's word is true and kind of how they should navigate that. And I would like, if at all possible, to help them do so. So tell us how you get involved in this Messy Grace uh, video project. Well, um, about two and a half years ago, a friend of mine who I met on Twitter um, was talking to an elder at his church, and he, he said that this elder said that there was no way that a Christian 
could still feel an attraction toward the same sex or, you know, however anyone identifies on that spectrum and still be actually a Christian. And my friend was like, well, that's not true. And he knows me, and I had written for his website before, so he approached me and asked if I could uh, maybe like write a longer-form version of what my experiences have been like in the church as somebody who does experience same-sex attraction. And um, it went a little viral, not going to lie. Um, but uh, somebody picked up, somebody picked it up and um, I think showed Caleb Kaltenbach, who's the pastor um, in the Messy Grace study. And so he contacted me and asked if I would be willing to be a part of this, um, I don't know what the word for trio is, but for four people, um, but part of the study. And um, so, yeah, I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd be, I'd be glad to join in something like that. And um, then it happened and it was a really great experience. So after you were involved in that, how would you say people responded to you? What would you feel like the response was? Um, it was overwhelmingly positive and supportive. Um, people gave me compliments, said I was brave and different things like that, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, but there were uh, a couple of negative voices which made everything else kind of not, not so great. Uh, it was actually unfortunate because... I went to a private Christian school for pretty much all my life. Grew up with, with people there for a solid 10 to 12 years. And um, this was two years after I graduated when that article was published and then when this Messy Grace video came out. And um, people read the article and watched the video. And um, the people that were still in high school there that had knew, known me and grew up with me began to talk bad about me and uh, disparaging towards me and um, calling me a hypocrite, which... To some extent, I had been, and I deserved that a little bit, um, but they didn't take the time to give me the benefit of the doubt, somebody that had grown up with them and, and then, you know, played sports with them, gone on trips with them, and stayed at their house and different things like that. So it was unfortunate that those certain people um, were not as gracious towards me as they could have been. So what did that, I mean, what did that, at that moment, what did that do to you in your kind of view of the church at that point of your life? Um, it, I didn't realize, because by this point, by the time the article was published and I had participated in the Messy Grace study, I had left the church that I had grown up in and I was attending a different one, um, in San Marcos where I went to college. And, um, I didn't realize how angry I still was at being treated how I was, how I had been. And, um, I was just so full of rage and bitterness at the people who made me feel like I had when I was 13, 14, 15 all over again. Um, made me feel alone, made me feel like I didn't have a place that I could go to to confide in people. I didn't feel like I could trust these people that I had known my entire life. Um, and yeah, it was just a real bummer. <laughs> yeah. So, as we mentioned already, there's a lot of people in our culture now that claim to follow Christ but still live out, you know, homosexual lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, so why haven't you chosen that path? Um, well, the truth of the matter is I actually did for a little bit. And uh, part of the reason, actually, like the only reason that I returned was by God's grace, of course. Um, but as I was there, after I had hardened my heart away from God and his commandments and um, his son, I uh, realized how my life had, had shifted to uh, this shell of myself. I, I had such a lack of peace. I was so anxious all the time. I was afraid all the time. I was angry all the time. Um, I could find no rest or comfort in people that I shouldn't have been reaching out to. I didn't find um, any sort of fulfillment for the loneliness that I was feeling either. Um, no matter how many people came in and out of my life, it was just a constant steady feeling of hopelessness and kind of despair that um, my life was kind of heading in a downward spiral, and I felt that. Um, but then God used certain people to remind me what his law says, what the truth of his word is, and then the, of the wonderful, miraculous, um, and all-availing sacrifice of his son on the cross was, and um, how that should shape my life, how that has um, sh shifted me and made me into a whole new person through Jesus. And um, that's, I guess, 
that was a roundabout answer, sorry. Um, but yeah. So we, we hear kind of two different voices in today's culture from, you know, secular culture. We hear, look, you were just born that way, not to quote Lady Gaga, but, um, and then we hear the church kind of saying, okay, this is just purely a choice. So, you know, don't do it if you love Jesus. How, how would you respond to both of those? Um, I would tell both of them that they're wrong. Uh, on the one hand, the, um, I'll start with the church, I guess, because I, I can attest to this and that the attraction that I feel is not a choice. I mean, I, I do know the truth of God's word. I know what he says about the subject uh, and the outworkings of said subject. Um, so I wouldn't choose to, to feel the way that I do. Um, however, I don't, I don't believe that uh, everybody is born that way. I do believe some people might be and are, but by and large, I think it would be kind of dumb to say that everybody that is LGBT was born that way because um, it doesn't take into account, like, um, certain traumas in childhood. It doesn't take into account, um, like, attachment issues, dependency issues, and how parents interacted with them, and whether or not there were parents in the picture. There's a lot of uh, nature and nurture that would go into something like that. So I, I, know, I would actually think it would be like scientifically ludicrous to say that everybody that is LGBT is born that way. But also I would, back to the church, I would not say that it was a choice. So the way that um, sin has crept into the world and corrupted humanity is, is such to where it manifests itself in so many different ways. I, I might struggle with same-sex attraction, and you don't, but you might have something else that would be equally foreign to me that you try to hide, that you try to you know, stow away and make sure nobody knows. Um, and the way that sin has, has done this has made it to where um, people might be born gay. People might be born with uh, a feeling that they're not the same gender or what have you. Um, so I think the way to respond biblically, bib- biblically to both of those questions is that um, Scripture says that mankind is by nature children of wrath. We have sin corrupting us at our very... Um, at all levels of, of our humanity. And so somebody might be able to be born that way, but the, ch- the choosing matter would be to once recognizing one's inclination and feeling and comparing it with God's word at that point saying, I will follow Christ and his truth by his grace, or I will reject that truth in favor of how I feel. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so this is something that you and I talked about I think last night and then on the phone when we were talking with Dave and something that I think we're both very passionate about is an equally confusing factor that has now been thrown into church culture is that there are many Christians now, prominent Christians, bloggers, podcasters that are now coming out and approving of this and saying that there is a sanctified way to carry this out as a believer. Um, And just to name names, because that does help us understand um, people like Glennon Doyle, Kristen Howerton, Jen Hatmaker. um, Matthew Vines. Yes. And and so that that has been very hard to kind of, now we've got these two streams. Mm. How would you, what would you say to them? And how would you help someone navigate that? As graciously as possible, I would, uh, I would tell them that they are leading people to hell because in their effort to be loving and caring and compassionate, which, is, which are all things that Christians should be, um, they have neglected the truth of God's word. And instead of saying, hey, Jesus came to die for this sin that you struggle with, they said, that's not really sin. It's okay. You can do that. And nullify what Jesus came to do, essentially. Like, by saying something is not sin, no matter what it is, you're saying that Jesus didn't come to die for it. Um, and they, they're they cutting themselves off from the truth of God's word, which is a, an incredibly dangerous place to be. And if they continue to teach falsely and lead people astray, um, I mean, Scripture tells us that teachers are judged more harshly, so they they ought to be they ought to beware. I mean, um, and as for the people that are wanting to listen and to hear and believe what these people are saying, I, I understand. I I'm a I'm a little bit of an amateur theologian. I say that with a we take, all are. Take, Don't take, worry. Wait, what, I think what? we're all amateurs. 
<laughs> I take take that with a grain of salt. Um, I mean, I've I've studied the Bible my whole life, and um, I'm gonna be honest, guys. I looked for loopholes. I really, really did, and I could you not find any. You had a stake any. to do that. I yeah, mean, yeah, exactly. Would have been nice. Yeah, and I I tried to find a way to where this could be compatible with Christianity, and I actually respect the people that at least stand firm on their convictions, reject Christianity as a whole, and then go into a lifestyle like this. That makes sense to me. But for the people who try to mix Christianity and an LGBT lifestyle and philosophy, it doesn't make sense. They don't go together um, for for various reasons. And now I'm getting long-winded and off the question. No, you were staying on track. Yeah, when you say that, we we talked about this. uh, Romans 1 talks about not just those that engage in behavior or ways of seeing things, but also talks about those who give approval to those who do such things. Right. I think we miss that because that's, that sort of indicts the whole uh, demographic that you're talking about in that, in that issue. So everyone knows, I mean, homosexuality is a multi-layered issue. So you know there's the, there's the personal aspect of it. There's also these big culture, cultural and political um, issues behind it as well. So how should Christians try to navigate these kinds of things? I mean, gay marriage being one of them, but how would you respond to that whole part of the discussion? Um, I don't think it is, it is as complicated as some Christians make it out to be. Um, God's Word says that marriage is between a man and a woman, and it is God's Word from which truth is drawn. So marriage, by definition, is that of a man and a woman. So it doesn't really... Calling something gay marriage and putting the name marriage on it kind of doesn't really make a difference because God says marriage is something, and when he says something, he means it, and is, it is truth. Um, so I don't—I I remember when same-sex marriage was legalized in the United States a couple years ago, um, my, <laughs> some of my evangelical Christian friends kind of went crazy, and they were saying it's the end of the world and different things like that, and I was like, wow, really, this is the thing that makes you think it's the end of the world? Um, I thought it was zombies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, but America wasn't, the United States wasn't more of a Christian nation before, before that was passed. It wasn't, and, and we are not now any less of a Christian. Actually, let me clarify what I just said, because I don't entirely think that the United States is a Christian nation um, for a variety of reasons. But the point that I'm trying to make is that um, the church doesn't have a stake in whether or not the government tries to apply its philosophy to culture. The church's job has, is and always has been to preach the gospel. Whether or not the government does its own thing is neither here nor there. Not, not to say that we can't be against those things and talk about them and discuss them and call them out when it's wrong, but even when they do things that are wrong, that doesn't change our mandate to continue to preach God's word in and out of season. Mm-hmm. Hey, so I'll take a time out. If you guys um, are having questions that you want to text in, please do so. Uh, because what's interesting is when he and I discussed on the phone the other night these questions, this took us two hours and I'm halfway through the questions, so we need some more content here. I talk a lot. I think but, I might have played a part in that. <laughs> um, so just feel free to text your, your questions, and we should have some time at the end here for I mean, those I, questions. I, I can keep talking if we you want. We could go to I mean, a commercial just... break. Do you guys want to advertise anything? We could do some commercials if you want. Um, but do you want to expound on anything that you've said so far? <laughs> you can sign up for the, out, for the for impact. That'd be great. If not, we can go on to the next question. Maybe you'll come back to something. You want to ask another question? No, it's later. Okay, it's later. We, we can we can go. To, that one might take a minute, so we can. Okay, that sounds good. So, next question I was going to ask is: uh, We know that transgenderism kind of gets lumped into the whole discussion, mm-hmm. and so how are these issues similar? How are they different? Um, I think the similarities between the um, LG and um, B, lesbian, gay, bisexual, is is similar to transgender in that um, the feeling is there. So for myself, I am I feel an attraction towards people of my same sex. I don't I don't know what it's like to feel like I shouldn't be a man and be a woman, but somebody does feel that way. I don't understand why I feel the way I feel. 
they probably don't understand how they feel. And I can, uh, I can empathize with that at least, that there's this otherness feeling to them, um, that there is this sense in which they um, are different and should be different and um, have a, a great deal of conflict within themselves. The way in which it's different is that, um, by and large, transgender issues deal with um, a more, a more um, I guess, intertwined relationship between psychology and biology. Somebody thinking that their biology is wrong. For the most part, in lesbian, gay, and bisexual people, they don't necessarily think that their body is wrong, just kind of the attraction is there. And, and it's entirely more biologically related and psychologically related in transgender folks um, that they feel like they're not in their own body. So we have God's word saying that he made us male and female, and it doesn't really go beyond that. So um, we hold the truth of God's word saying that God has created you, yes, in his image, in a way in which um, he came to redeem you as well. But when people start to... I don't know. When people start to say that... Hold on. When people start to say that um, they feel like they're, they shouldn't be in their own body and in a different one, um, we should be able to, at the very least, because of those similarities, empathize with them and um, continue to tell them that they are made in the image of God and um, res- respond in a way that meets the needs... meets their more immediate needs. Th- that... This is why I was saying it might take a little minute. So it's it's such a complicated issue. Right. It is a complicated issue, and um, there's a lot of... I encourage you guys to, because this is exactly something we were talking about a minute ago, but to, to research things like about biology and, and transgenderism and psychology and transgenderism, like actual scientific, peer-reviewed kind of studies that are um, well-researched, well-thought-out, and um, have a lot of weight to them rather than people going off and appeal to emotion. Because when you have educated yourself in the science of things, you are that much more equipped to respond in love and emotion because you understand the other things behind it. Yeah, and I think when you get into the theology of fallenness, that doesn't change anything, you know? It's still like, okay, well, science says that, but there is still a sense of we believe that we are fallen. And so anything biological is still going to point to what we believe that, yes, we, we believe that we are fallen on, on all levels. Um, and what, how does God call us to live out in the midst of that fallenness? So, um, and, you know, culture really has defined masculinity and femininity in very kind of polarizing ways. Um, how does the Bible differ from the culture in this area in terms of how we define masculinity and femininity? Um. I think culture has, well, I think this applies, I can't really speak to the North. I'm from Texas. So um, I can say for the South and for Texas that the idea of masculinity, for example, is rooted in, you know, one's physical strength, one, how, you know, how can you fix your car? Can you run a four, five, 40? Can you deadlift a thousand pounds? Um, and those are all How cool things, guys. How many deer racks are on the back of your truck? Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Um, and not to say that those are bad things at all. I, I love sports. I don't particularly watch ESPN, but I do like sports. Um, but I also love musical theater. A little stereotypical, huh? Um, but, um, but those things are not what define masculinity. Um, scripture says that a man is, is somebody who is um, disciplined and um, somebody who provides for his family, somebody who knows God's word, somebody who is faithful in the things that he does. So whether you are really good at sports or not, whether you like to do ballet or not, gentlemen, none of those things define who you are as men. Un- and it's important that you look at God's word to see what it defines as a man. And um, because a lot of times, like for myself, um, I, was, I was bullied a lot for being in theater. Even, even though I did sports, like I, I still don't get it. Like I, whatever. Um, <laughs> but I did theater. Like I, I, 
I told my I told my friends I was taking ballet to prepare for college auditions, and they started laughing at me. And I was like, you couldn't you couldn't do a day in ballet. Your legs would be done. Um, and um, but they they bullied me. They made fun of me. They called me gay. And um, because I was different from them, because I didn't necessarily sh- share the same interests as them, um, because I did not share the interests that made somebody a man. Um, and so that the the way. I mean, we're products of our culture. So if you like guns and, you know, hunting and stuff like that, that's cool. You're from Texas. It makes sense that you do. Um, but that doesn't define who you are as men. Um, and the same can be said, too, of, of how culture has viewed femininity as well. Um, because the, the truth of God's word is that, for example, in a marriage, a wife is to submit to his, his hus- her husband. Um, and that doesn't resonate well with a lot of people. Um, because there's this wave of new feminism that has talked about, you know, men and women, men and women being equal. And hear me clearly, because I'm not saying that men are better than women. That's not what I'm saying, because there's a lot of things that women are better at than me in particular. Um, but what I'm saying is that men and women are different. Uh, they are not the same. And there are certain things to be expected of a man that you cannot expect of a woman and vice versa. I will never bear children, guys. Like, women, do you realize that God has given you the gift and the ability to bear life? It sure didn't feel like a gift at the time. <laughs> That's Just fair. Just saying. That's fair. <laughs> That's why I invited Courtney on this stage right there. Your money's worth. Say more about that. <laughs> um but but that's the point like that there are differences there are experiences that men and women will never be able to know from the other and that's okay because god created them different for a reason the the hard part is digging into god's word and finding out what that is and what that means for masculinity and femininity but just know that your culture our culture does not define what it means to be a man or a woman and I feel like it's it, this conversation is even moving further ahead now than what we're even discussing, where the lines are just being blurred now. Hmm. It shouldn't even matter. The whole kind of just there's been a huge bomb just thrown into those definitions mm-hmm. now, and they're so blurred now. It's like, what does that even matter? Masculine, what does that mean? You yeah. know? There's, so. a, there's a very fluid term with masculinity and femininity as far as culture goes. And you have the one side that says that neither matter, like you said, or this very, um, I'm going to say quasi-Christian, like pseudo-Christian ideology that would say something like, oh, um, this, this, and this makes a man. When they kind of have no basis in the scriptures for it, it's entirely based on Southern culture. Yeah, I think I'll speak pastorally to that as well. I've been on, I can recall a mission trip that I was on many, many years ago. Not this church, but a different church. And we were in the the room where all the guys were staying. And there was one guy on our trip that might fit kind of some of the stereotypes you're describing um, of of not being defined as a man as, as a lot of people would see it. And there were these guys on the trip that started bullying him and saying things to him like, are you gay? Are you gay? And, and that's a moment where, as a pastor, just something, this rage comes out of me, right? Pastor I pull these guys aside and have to have some, have some words with them about what they're doing. But I think you see that's rampant even in the church, just where you see these stereotypes, especially when it comes to masculinity, where if you don't measure up to some man code that's this unwritten man code, then um, somehow you are talked about or even directly confronted in these ways where they make fun of those um, those people, and so I think that's I think hugely important for you guys to think about as you are part of the church that you're very understanding of that, and that you're not one that gets caught up in that when you see others um, heading down that road. So yeah, I um, ladies, unfortunately, I can't speak directly to you because I'm not a woman and I have not experienced some of the things that you have. But gentlemen, I have been a high school guy before, and I know what it's like to um, experience all of those things, and so. Be, just be aware of your friends and if even people that you don't know. And, and this is applicable to everybody in the room. But when you look at somebody that is different from you and doesn't make sense to you and you don't understand all the way that they think or they feel, remember that that is a person that Jesus died for. That is a person whom God came to save. And 
the way that you interact with them is indicative of how much you're aware of your own sinfulness and how much maybe that you aren't aware that you need Jesus and his forgiveness. Would you say, Michael, that uh, something that is very healing and um, restorative to someone struggling with same-sex attraction is the need for same-sex friendships, that that is a very, very important part of this? Absolutely it is. I cannot... I cannot even begin to express how important that is. Like heterosexual Yes, heterosexual guys, like, dudes yeah, and friendship. Different. Yeah, because... Um, I don't know how to explain this. Because, I, I, unfortunately, I don't have very many um, heterosexual guy friends because um, a lot of them... It's, it's unfortunate to say I had good friends in high school, but they kind of just kind of dipped and were like, not going to be a part of my life, not going to be invested in my life, not going to be willing to be there for me. So... It's, it's good and helpful and, and absolutely necessary for people like me who experience same-sex attraction to have friends of the same sex who are believers in Christ and who will be there for me and provide a friendship and, an in, yes, an intimacy um, that is good and beneficial in the eyes of God. Because relationships, obviously, with, with men who are gay— are not going to be able to be beneficial for my life and my uh, spiritual life with Christ. So there's no way in which I could be able to grow in things like that. So for male friendships with somebody who is heterosexual, that would absolutely be helpful for me to um, grow and be accountable and be able to um, have somebody to confide in. So what would you say to someone who is a Christian but struggles with same-gender attraction? The first thing that I would say to that person is that you are not alone. And um, there are people that are like you that are out there. I'm one of them. Um, There are people also, despite maybe a lot of what you hear and, and, and negativity and hate and different things like that, there are people in the church who love you and want to be there for you. Uh, We, we talked on the phone a couple days ago and, um, if he hasn't, if he and his pastoral staff have not already made it clear to you, if you feel these things or feel this way, they are available to talk to you. They are available to listen to you, to hear you out, to cry with you if necessary, and to walk through these things with you and navigate these issues with you. Um, so I would tell you also that um, it's hard. It's, it's lonely. It's, it's scary because... Because you just, a lot of days you just don't feel normal. You don't feel like you belong, but you do. Because St. Paul says in Timothy that this is a trustworthy saying, that Christ came to die for sinners, and I am a sinner. So if you're a sinner, you qualify. Um, So the good news is if you feel like you don't belong, you do, because you're a sinner and you need Jesus, same as the person next to you. Um, And maybe one of the, I mean, I would have a lot to say to you. Let's sit and have coffee sometime. But another thing that I would say to you is that it is hard, yes, but one day this will all be different. One day it will all be made new. One day it will all be as it should be. Um, in the book of Revelation, St. John records that um, there will be no more death. There will be no more tears. There will be no more mourning. It will just be resurrection. You will be made whole and new like you never felt like you could be ever. Um, and it's not today, unfortunately, maybe, but it will come. So I, I just want to kind of follow up with that because you mentioned when you were, when you did engage in that lifestyle and live that out, you, you mentioned the word loneliness, but then you also mentioned loneliness in walking the road that you're now walking. Is there a contrast between those lonelinesses? Is that... Grammar. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess it, so. Would you say it's a different kind of loneliness now that you can say I, I've been in each of these places? Yeah. I, I would say it's definitely a different kind of loneliness. The um, the loneliness apart from Jesus is one of extreme despair and uh, one of absolute fear, um, which is different than the loneliness I experience now, because. Unless God changes me in some different ways, it's unlikely that I'll be married to a woman. Which is unfortunate, because I've always wanted to get married. I always wanted to have kids and stuff like that. Um, 
so the idea of, I mean, it's a little cliche, being single for the rest of my life is kind of um, it's kind of really scary and daunting. But it's a different sort of loneliness because, and this is a point that I should have made a little bit ago, but that the idea of the church. We, we've we've um we've idolized marriage a little bit in the American church. We've made that like, oh, you're gonna graduate high school, go to college, graduate, get married, and have a family. That doesn't always that isn't always how it happens, unfortunately. And marriage is not the goal for every Christian. Um. And so because of that, the church is the family. There, of course, there are nuclear families like you all are married and have children and that's wonderful but that is also only one component of the church the church by and large is single folks um and the church is meant to be family to one another especially in the cases of people like me that aren't probably aren't going to have a wife and children that i will need my brothers and sisters in christ i will need fathers and mothers in christ people that can share my life and be happy with me cry with me and um be present with me. So that is a different sort of loneliness, I think, because it's, it's an ache for something good. It's a, it's a want for something that is holy and good that I am, that God has said no to, and has said, instead, my grace is sufficient for you. So one is kind of born out of this desire for intimacy, and, and one is really the result of kind of a despairing yes. loneliness. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I love what you say, because, you know, Rosario Butterfield, who came out of the lesbian lifestyle says the gospel should come with a house key. You yeah. Know, I think that's what you're really mm-hmm. speaking to. Um, so, and this is my question next. So, someone that is not a Christian, but is living out a homosexual lifestyle, what would you say to them? Someone who's not a Christian and is living out a homosexual lifestyle. Um, I would probably say something like... Um, it's different when you're talking to Christians and when you're talking to not Christians. Because when you're talking to a Christian and they call themselves a Christian and they admit that they are a Christian, there are certain things that we as the church can expect from them. We, if you say you're a Christian and confess Jesus, come to church, there are certain things that we can expect from you to, to do as a Christian, or to, at least to want to do. But when you are interacting with non-Christians, no matter the, on the issue, they're probably not going to see whatever they're doing as sin. Um, and so we cannot always, I don't think it's beneficial to approach them. Like, for example, I'm sure you guys have seen videos of people on the streets just yelling, like, God hates fags and stuff like that. I've, have y'all seen stuff like that before? Like, really kind of awful street preachers? I hate street preaching, by the way. That's just kind of a little tidbit about me. Um, but... Um, those people don't, (laughs) I've never seen somebody successfully evangelized through a street preacher. And here's why, because they don't know the people that they're talking to. Unless you take the time to sit down and find out who these people are, who, what they like, what they don't like, how they were raised, um, what their favorite toppings on pizza are. Um, you cannot develop a relationship with them that lets you be able to express the truth of God's word and the gospel. Um, because if they don't know you and they're not a Christian, they have zero reason to trust you or listen to a single thing that you're saying. So until you get to know them, and, and I should clarify too, I, I don't mean to say that you, like if somebody asks you on the street, like, hey, do you think um, being gay means you can be Christian and live it out at the same time? I mean, you can say no, like that's okay. Still hold the truth of God's word there, but you hold God's truth alongside his mercy. And, and his compassion and his willingness to come and save that which was lost. And um, being, a, being the friend of sinners, sitting with them and, and, and eating with them. You'd be surprised how much eating a meal can, can change the relationship between people when you sit down and share food. Like that's, you guys should look up like a biblical study of food because that's like a whole theme through the Bible. No, seriously, that's not a joke. <laughs> Does Freddy's ice cream qualify it absolutely, in, my, in my bowl of cereal last it, night? It absolutely does qualify. <laughs> well said. So um, we got a couple more questions left, but I want to see, are we getting questions texted in, Shannon? A lot. Okay. How, how many do you think so far we have that are good quality questions? We, we're going to need to get to those questions. Five, six, seven, Yikes. ten, fifteen. Oh, man, we better hurry. I didn't even see any of y'all texting. When did you do this? Yes. I know you guys text like incognito or something. It's crazy. Hey, babe, I say take my last 
Okay. Because he kind of answered that already. So um, let's get to the questions then because I want to make sure we get to those. So if you could, Shannon's at the back. He's going to be the voice of God in the room. You're just going to hear a voice, and he's going to share some questions here. So first question, um, (laughs) how how has same-sex attraction affected your relationship with your parents? Yikes. Y'all going for the jugular. Um, First question. <laughs> um, I think some of the students here have seen the full Messy Grace study. Is that right? Yes. Um, and then I think some of them will at some point. I, I elaborate a little bit more on this, but um, my, uh, my family attended a church where people did not like to air their, um, their sins. People, an environment was created where sharing and confessing sin was not good because you wanted to be the perfect Christian family that... You know, was blessed and highly favored and didn't have any struggles and parents weren't fighting and the kids weren't awful. Um, We went to a church like that. So a lot of times in my family, we unfortunately pushed down a lot of issues that we we were feeling or or experiencing. And so when my parents find out that I was attracted to dudes, um, my mom, my mom, uh, she's real mad. Um, she, I love, I love my mom very much, and she, um, she looked at me and she said, you're not the man of God that I thought you were, and, uh, and I didn't talk to her, she didn't talk to me for like a week, which is really hard, because we, um, she drove me to and from school, so those were real awkward car rides, um, but, uh, a couple years went by, and nobody talked about it, nobody said anything, and then one day, like, it was just really random, my senior year of high school, I was making breakfast, and, Seriously, it was, like, out of the blue. We hadn't talked about it in forever. And she was like, do you still feel that way? And I was like, yeah. She was like, why? I was like, I don't know. Like, um, I, wish I, I wish I knew. And she, um, she said, I, I, uh, I wish you were a drug addict instead because we could know how to fix that. And, um, yeah, it was a rough day. Um, my dad, we, uh, my mom, of course, told him, and... Um, the conversation was very, very brief, like a solid 10 seconds. And um, what year is it, 2018? We haven't talked about it since. Like, it's been, like, I want to say five years since my dad and I talked about it. I actually told him, I was like, I'm coming here to talk about this particular thing. I have the Messy Grace study in my house. Watch this today, please. And um, we'll talk about it when I get home. Um, so those are my experiences with my parents. Now, my mom eventually got less angry, guys. Um, and um, the article that spurred this whole thing, my mom actually wrote a follow-up piece for that same website about it. And, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Next question. Hopefully that answered that question. I know that was really that was long. good. Thanks. Um, one's just uh, maybe a little quicker. When did you realize that you were uh, attracted to the same sex? Eleven. Should I elaborate on that or like, we good? What Eleven are, and how many months? Or <laughs> <laughs> next question. <laughs> um, so, what are some of the things that the LB, uh, LGBT community offer that oftentimes make them more attractive to be a part of? I assume than the church. That's an excellent question. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of talk in the LGBT community about love and, um, acceptance and tolerance and be who you are born this way kind of thing. Um, and so that's attractive to people who have been told by the church that they're awful, they're going to hell because of how they feel and we're, are not offering in any way to walk alongside them in the truth of God's word. So the LGBT community looks like a, a family that they never had, um, and unfortunately, despite their uh, advertisements, it's, it's, not, it's not the case. Um, there's a lot of stereo. And I, I, can't speak to some of the, I can't speak to some of the aspects of the LGBT community, but I know for the gay community in particular, they, they're... No, I don't even want to say that. Never mind. Never mind. Um, but the point is that, by and large, tolerance, people who talk about tolerance are not very tolerant. And please don't put that as, like, your Facebook status, please. Like, that's not how you want to lead into conversations either. I'm just saying, 
um, that they put on this front of, of love and acceptance, and, and it's, it's very rarely like that. It's only, it's ironically conforming to a cultural stereotype of a particular branch of the LGBT community. If you don't conform to that, you're mm, uh, ostracized and even then made to feel like other, which is awful. Uh, do you believe that it's important to be, do you believe it's important to be open about your same-sex attraction instead of keeping it to yourself? Um, I think that's a case-by-case basis. Personally, if y'all haven't already been able to tell, I'm very extroverted. Um, I was in theater. I was been on a stage half my life. So, and a writer. So it was natural for me to write about these things and, and, and talk publicly about them. Um, and, uh, and part of it was, too, because I had to do so or I was either going to die or leave the faith. And um, I didn't want to do either of those things. So um, I had to talk about it. Now, that was my particular scenario. There might be some people who feel that way, but it might not be necessarily uh, safe for them to do so. Their parents might actually be... I, I assume that this was in context of like a high school student. Um, it might not be safe for them to do so. Their parents might be like very violently opposed to something like that. Um, I do think that it is imperative that it is shared at some point to someone, preferably someone that you can trust. I'm actually glad that this question was asked because we talked about this. Um, but as I said before, if that's, if that's a question from somebody, it's obviously a question from someone in here, but if that's a question from somebody who is feeling this way and they don't know if they can tell somebody around them they can trust, like I said before, the, the pastoral staff has, has, if they haven't made it clear, I'm telling you now that they are willing to hear and listen and to discuss. And, um, for those of you that don't feel that way, that might have a friend that does feel that way, make yourself available to be trustworthy, be trustworthy to them. You don't have to like ask them like, "Hey, you gay?" Like, that's not. <laughs> maybe don't go that route. But like, yeah, don't do that. Um, but like, it, make yourself trustworthy in in such a way as so that your friends know that no matter what you tell me, I'm still your friend and I love you and I'm going to be here for you. Um, but yeah, I do think it's a case-by-case basis, but it, it would be beneficial at a certain point to talk about it. Dave, do you have another one there? I will call through a couple more here. You're still looking for some? Yeah, you some go ahead. Ones? Yeah. Um, I have a question. Go ahead. Um, so this actually, how many of y'all raise your hands know Anthony Garcia? Okay, so he and I were talking a while back when he came over to catch up with us. And I think that there's there's two things right now that I think parents are really afraid of and that students or high schoolers just really don't know how to navigate. Um, he was describing a situation where, you know, at his school there are the Christians that have no problem with it and the Christians that maybe don't agree with it. And he said, you know, so someone that's gay comes in and says, you know, hey, yeah, I'm going to the prom with blah, blah, blah. And the friend that's gay, or I'm sorry, the friend that's a Christian's like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. I'm so happy for you guys. And that the kid that maybe doesn't agree with it just feels silenced, that there is no way I can say my opinion, what I think about this. Um, and so there's just this real silencing taking place I think in all Christians, not to say that they are like, you know, that that's a sin, right? (laughs) But how do you, how do they kind of walk the halls holding these views? Is it just a sense of waiting for someone to be open, looking for openings or like, I mean, I I think I feel that in my culture. I'm a counselor and I feel (laughs) that it's very hard to navigate those waters right now. Um, I would say it's it's kind of looking for openings because I I mean I share this same um, view about government and it's kind of related but we shouldn't ex- it would kind of be dumb of us to expect non Christians to act like Christians um, I mean God does because He's God but it wouldn't make sense for um, a non Christian to come in and say Hey I'm going to participate in communion today just because like that wouldn't be okay that wouldn't be acceptable because they're not a Christian. Um, so I think it's important that um, we do look for those openings. Um, I think 
we discussed on the phone the other day. There's, there's sometimes when people who aren't Christians come up in crisis in sinful situations, um, our, our first vocation as Christians is to maybe meet the more immediate need. Mm-hmm. If I, I use the example, I think, the other night of if you know somebody and he's gay and his boyfriend is abusing him physically and verbally and he comes to you for help, you're not going to say, well, maybe you should repent and believe the gospel right now. That's probably, probably shouldn't be the first thing you say. You should probably work to alleviate, remove, and get them out of that abusive situation. Listen to them. Yes, exactly. Um, and those are, those are kind of openings that, that we can be able to look for. Um, it's a hard question. It's a hard, it's a hard line to walk whether, whether or not, um, is, is my response at this point approving this or is it not? And how are they taking it? You know, um, there's a lot of factors to consider, and it's 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 hard. Mm-hmm. It's it's a difficult line. Kind of almost like a prayerful silence that we are intentionally looking for moments. We're praying for moments, yes. um, but we're not forcing that on people. Right. Is that kind of what you would say? Yes, I would say that. And I think um, the idea of speaking the truth in love that Scripture talks about mm-hmm. is is also evident in our actions. The the things that we do speaks volumes to people. Mm-hmm. Um, how Jesus interacted with sinners is, is how we should too. Um, treating them as people whom he created and people that he came to die for. And, um, in that way, not losing, not losing their humanity when we view their sin as well. Um, because there's, again, there are people that Jesus died for and, and they're not just some abstract concept. These are, these are real people that deal with these real issues and we, we have an answer for it. And that answer is Jesus got one more if I can ask. Is that okay? We good? So just uh, you've addressed this, but I'm going to kind of tee the ball up here and you put a sharper edge on it, Michael. Um, But if people struggle with same-sex attraction and believe in God and are trying to conquer their sin, but it's judgment day, will they be accepted into heaven or will they be condemned to hell? Oh, man. You better stand up for this one. Get to the edge of the seat. Um. The beautiful thing about Christianity and about the gospel is that even if you're a person that does not deal with same-sex attraction, um, nothing that you do will merit your entrance into heaven. Um, Nothing that you have done or haven't done will merit your entrance into heaven. The beautiful thing about Christianity and the gospel is that when you stand before God on Judgment Day, having sinned and and felt the way you felt, maybe um, in the case of people with same-sex attraction and the like, the answer and the final ticket in is and always has been Jesus. And the way that this question was phrased, this is somebody who confesses Jesus, that knows Jesus, somebody who knows what sin is and wants to fight it and put it to death. These are all good things. These are all good signs. Um, Knowing that when you die and stand before God, you should be condemned because you are born children of wrath. But Jesus has stood in your place and died the punishment that you should have died so that you might live forever. And you will because you believe it, because he said it. And that was kind of what the sermon was this morning about believing that the words that Jesus said. He, he said in, in the book of John, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will never die. And then he asked the question to the lady he was talking about. He's, do you believe this? And so Jesus poses that same question to us now. He is the Messiah. He came to redeem you from sin, death, and the devil. Repent. Believe what he says. And when he says believe this, He says, this will happen. You will live forever. Do you believe this? Because you should. Because his promises are always true. He doesn't lie. He is always faithful, even when we are not, the scriptures say. It's the same yesterday, today, forever. So, that was a longer answer. But, um, when you confess Jesus, that is enough. Jesus is enough. You are not, unfortunately. But the good news is that Jesus is. So the last couple of questions that I had, Shannon, were ones he's already kind of addressed. I don't know if you have. Do you have any more that you want to get to? Maybe one or two more? I have one more. Yeah, I can, but you have to buy me a minute I here. I have one more, babe. You can't say babe on the stage. It's, it's Sorry. 
the audience is freaked out Dave. right now. So Dave, Dave, I she said, said Dave. She said Dave. What I heard, I heard Babe. I, that's what she normally calls me. So you know, <laughs> I guess I'm the one that said that. You know. Okay, Babe. So why don't you ask your question? Oh, you get to. <laughs> um, I, I I think something we haven't really talked about that's huge out there is just um, suicide. And many parents out there whose kids come and tell them and they love their kids, maybe they aren't reacting very judgmentally or um, in a very shame-based way. Um, And they love Jesus and they go, man, like, I I feel like if I don't accept this, then my kid's going to kill themselves. Or I'm I'm a Christian and my friend comes and tells me I'm gay or I'm transgender and if I tell them, you know, I love you, thank you for telling me, could we talk about this some more? There is that just fear of, am I going to make them suicidal? And you hear those stories. I can't pull up my CNN app without hearing about, you know, suicide rates and, and it always being linked back to intolerance and hate. So, sorry for that being your last question, but... <laughs> Might be too much. Are you, are you asking how to kind of address that, or um, I, I guess I'm kind of just wanting to know your thoughts about that, like um, what, how you would respond, or any pointers you could give them. I think, by and large, those tragic suicides are the result of intolerance and, and, and in a lot of cases, bullying. Um, I think it's just another example and warning for us as Christians to still take care with our words. Um, Saint Paul says in Ephesians, talking about um, speaking the truth in love that there's a time and a place for words. There are words that might be true and applicable and necessary, but it might not be the right time for you to say them. Um, so, it, it, is, um, it is why we must, as Christians, talk about these kinds of issues and talk about how we have failed as the church in addressing these issues and how we can do better and how we can be kinder and more loving so that people might turn their hearts to Jesus as the result of our witness. Um, if, we, if we as a church can do that, can remember that Christ came to die for us too, and also those other people, that will influence how we speak, talk to them, see them, and hopefully by doing that we can avoid any sort of, any sort of notion of self-harm. Yeah, well said. Any one last question, Shannon? If not, I'll wrap up. I thought this one was just an important one to hear your perspective, Michael, on um, the question is stated. So you've expressed the need for community and support, and you're very articulate in your biblical perspective on the issue. Are you actually finding the biblical support uh, or the community, uh, I guess, in your church that you describe uh, and need? I'm sorry, can you read that again? <laughs> Let me give you the question at the end. Are you finding the biblical support and the community that you talk at my about church about right, right, right. Um, That is an excellent question. Like, it really, really is. The answer is kind of. Um, my pastor is aware of my situation. The thing is, the, con- the congregation that I was a part of for the longest time and I'm still a member at, um, their, their demographic is like, 60 plus, that's like 80% of the congregation. So this Messy Grace study and the article I wrote, they're not aware of just because that they don't use technology that much. Um, um, That being said, my pastor does know. Um, The church that I currently attend that I'm not a member at yet, those pastors know. Um, So, kind of. Uh, it's still, um, it's still a little difficult to nav- navigate, especially, and I, and I'm, and I, to the people in this room that are um, not the normal age demographic in this room, um, it's unfortunately true that there's still a little bit more of a stereotype as far as issues like this go and certain opinions that are long since held. Um, for example, people in my church would literally wear like sh- straight pride pins um, that bothered me a little bit because I was like, why? Um, so it, it's kind of hit or miss. I'm, I, my answer of kind of kind of still stands. Yeah. So a couple things I want to say just as we wrap up. Uh, we've been talking, we've been spending our time in Joshua, the book of Joshua the last few weeks. 
And we've talked about how there's this big theme in Joshua, and it's, it's courage. It's fear and courage. And God's saying to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And I know that whenever it comes to um, the LGBT uh, topic, in the media there is one form of courage linked to that. Um, when someone comes out and says, hey, this is who I am, I'm going to live this way, um, culture sees that as courageous. And so one of the things I wanna, I've wanted to put before you is different stories of courage and that's what you saw today. That's what you're going to see in the uh, Messy Grace video uh, series that we're going to look at in our equip groups. Is These are, um, I think, true stories of courage. What Michael is doing is very courageous and requires great faith and dependence on God. And so um, let's just give him a hand for being here today. Great job. I appreciate it. Thank you. Go ahead. I just want to say one more thing. Um, do you guys know the um, Voice of the Martyrs organization? Oh, some of you are aware. Okay, cool. There's a missionary by the name of Richard um, Wombrand, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, he was a missionary to communist Russia, and he was in prison for like a total of 20 years or something like that. He had a quote one time that said, like, when com- I don't, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember the exact quote, um, but when... Um, when communism falls, basically, he was saying, there will be people who they oppress that will come for them and try to kill them and beat them. The same Christians that were also tortured and beaten by communists, he said, they're to be the ones that stand in front of those communists to um, like absorb, to defend, to protect, and, and save them if at all possible. The same, I think, is applicable here and now um, as far as courage goes, because you might, have to, you might find yourselves em- embroiled in discussions and, and disagreements and stuff with other Christians and um, defending the truth of God's word and his mercy. And when people go to commit violence against LGBT people, the same applies that we should be the ones who are standing in the gap. We should be the ones who are standing in front of them to protect them with our very body if necessary. Amen. I'm going to pray for us. God, we're so grateful uh, for Michael and for his, uh, his courage as he shares um, just his walk with you. And uh, we thank you for the way that um, he is speaking into our culture, the way that he is speaking to Christians and also those that are even not Christians yet, and just showing that there is, um, there is this Messiah who has died on a cross and resurrected again and offers himself. Uh, uh, when people put their faith and trust in him, they're transformed and they're changed. And we know, God, that um, you offer that to us. We pray that... You just bless him. We pray that you would um, just continue to, to grow him in his walk with you. And we thank you for just him sharing his life with us today. We pray this in your name. Amen.